0: Welcome to episode four of the Into the Hopper podcast. In this episode, I talk with Adam Laocano, staff machine learning engineer at Spotify. Adam studied electrical engineering and worked on atomic clocks before turning to a career in data science about 10 years ago. Prior to Spotify, he's worked at places like Tumblr and Stripe, uh, today, I wanted to talk with Adam about how his career has progressed from an ac- atomic clock engineer to leading many machine learning efforts at uh, Spotify, the world's most popular audio streaming subscription company. Hello, Adam.
1: Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about doing this. I, uh, I like it, it. seems with most of my guests, I've known you through Twitter for a long time, and we've met up a couple times in person, and uh, you've been a, a big influence on me and In in watching your career and talking with you about data science and my career over the years, I think I was a grad student when I uh, came to New York for a conference or something and I I, uh, met you and you you gave me a tour around the the Tumblr office in 20. 11 or 12, which would have been probably my first time in a startup office, which was kind of eye-opening for a grad student from North Carolina.
1: Yeah, that was my first time in a startup office when I worked there as well. It was a, it was like a radically new thing for me to work in a place like that. So I'm sure we'll talk about that too.
0: Rows and rows of desks that like kind of open office. And I remember you had uh, some kind of a sparkling water machine, which I thought was pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, I miss those
0: you studied electrical engineering. What got you into electrical engineering and and going that route?
1: So I actually started college as a physics major. Um, I was at, I went to Northeastern University and it was a great school. I loved it. And um, one thing about Northeastern is they have this co-op program where you go, it's a five-year program. And by the end of the five years, you get your normal four-year degree, but they also uh, get you placed in jobs. And so you have two full years of work experience. Uh, So you kind of earn an extra year in those five. Um, And I got a a co-op job at this place that designs atomic clocks. And uh, my first time was just like twiddling numbers and writing down uh, sort of optical intensity levels of, of uh, like just these different laser settings that we were working with. Um, But I realized that what I liked About it was the building the stuff, not necessarily the sort of pushing the envelope on the understanding of the universe that I was learning about in in physics classes. And so switched to electrical engineering so that I could learn how to, you know, actually uh, take these ideas and turn them into a thing that you can use or hold.
0: I started in physics also, but I ended up in math for basically the opposite reasons. I didn't want to do anything with uh, physical objects.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would love to see how many uh people go in one direction or the other or just stick with physics all the way through their career.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't even like trying to understand the universe. I wanted all uh all these uh theory and, and imaginary things was what I enjoyed. So then you did you continue working at that a company where you had started as a part of the co-op?
1: I did, yeah. I worked there through college and then I worked for two or three years after that. I think I was there for a total of like seven or eight years. Um, And it was awesome. Working there full time was, it was really interesting because this place was like total bell lab style. Like you've got your lab notebook that you initial and date every day. And when you fill the notebook at the end, you file it away in some locker in case we need to file a patent, which we like rarely ever did. Um, And you know, they were like, oh, well, we can do stuff with microcontrollers now, right? And so when I joined, um, my boss had recently started, and he came from the MathWorks. And so he was, like, building all these crazy Simulink things where you press a button it programs an FPGA. uh, And he was like, well, we don't need that for these particular things. But I, you know, started programming all these microcontrollers and just got to learn how to, like do low level C and dropping into a little bit of assembly stuff. And it was, it was like so much fun. And then like kind of seeing that all the way through I mean, there's so many components to these atomic clocks that we can talk about or not, but, um,
0: (laughs) what were the applications of the clocks?
1: Yeah. So there's like a handful of different kinds. There are atomic clocks in all of the GPS satellites that basically, you know, anytime you want very, very specific synchronization between things, um, atomic clocks will be the best for something like that um, especially in the longer term Um, and you can actually get any normal gps receiver emits a one pulse per second signal that like uh is like sort of noisy and inconsistent from second to second but like over the course of three months the number of seconds will be like exactly the number that you would expect like it doesn't drift over a very long term um, okay, so there's a lot of applications for that or or other sorts of high frequency communication things. Um, what I was building were very very low power atomic clocks um, so they ran on you know a half a watt of power versus forty watts or more usually um, and that was for things like uh, underwater GPS networks since uh our you know radio frequency doesn't travel underwater so they were using these like, sonar based underwater gps things for autonomous underwater vehicles which was like crazy um but you know i was mostly building prototypes for those sorts of things and never got to like go out to like the naval yards and deploy them or anything Uh,
0: so (laughs) as interesting it'd be to go into the details of that um i think uh, more interesting for the sake of this podcast to talk more about your your career as it progressed from there. I think when I met you, you were working with a professor or professors at Columbia business school doing kind of data munging and scraping and and different things like that. How'd you end up there?
1: So I went to, I went to grad school for a year and I had for a number of reasons, a not great experience. Um, I think I just didn't, uh, my expectations were not aligned with reality. I thought I would just take some classes and whatever. Um, and, and was never really part of a research group and never really like fully committed to, to like a particular field or subject or whatever and was feeling kind of bummed about it. uh and I saw this position that opened up at Columbia business School to do what basically you know the the two thousand sort of ten or twelve version of data science, which was working with professors to do on their research. uh, And that was, some of it was like gathering data and joining data sets and doing these sort of fuzzy merges to combine data sets together. And some of it was, you know, I wrote this paper and it has, uh, you know, a bunch of code and I would like to be able to run simulations using, or a bunch of equations rather. And I would like to run some, some simulations using these things and, but like, I don't know how to code it or I did and it's really slow. Um, So I just sort of did a lot of that sort of stuff. My title was research computing specialist, uh, which is (laughs) very funny. I'm 100% sure they would call it a data scientist now.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: You know, it seemed like an opportunity to take some more classes. You know, I took classes in data mining and and statistics and and things like that. And then uh, also actually like kind of get that research group vibe that I that I like missed out on in grad school. And so I, I sort of like made the move and, and have since learned that like this program, I kind of want to give a plug for it, actually, because it's it's called a pre-doc uh, that is a thing that I think is more popular in economics and finance. But uh, a lot of the kids that I worked with were straight out of undergrad and I was a few years older. And you go and, and you work with professors on papers, like co-author papers or, or work with them and kind of do research and then get you know, a fantastic letter of recommendation. And you know, a lot of the people that I worked with then are now, you know, junior faculty at NYU Stern or Harvard business school or Wharton um, or Northwestern, I think someone teaches that. And so it's like all of these extremely difficult to get positions. It was, you know, they're very smart people, but it was like a great springboard for a lot of them. So any undergrad economists listening to this, look into uh pre-doc programs.
0: Yeah, that's neat. I didn't really realize that was a thing, but uh, that sounds like a, a very smart opportunity. What was that time when you were working there a big um learning time for you? Uh meaning were you picking up a lot of new things as you went or was it more using skills you had already built in earlier days?
1: No, that was it was actually a really great time. So this was I was doing this 2009 through like 2011. It was a 2-year gig you know data science was sort of becoming a thing like drew conway drew his famous venn diagram in that time um things like that and it seemed like everyone was sort of like there is this this thing that is data science we don't really know what it is but like you know maybe visualization is cool like hadley wickham published his uh his split apply combine paper around that time, which was like the beginning of plier. And, and, um, I think, uh, Wes gave the first talk about pandas, uh, Wes McKinney gave the first talk about pandas sort of around that time. So a lot of like really cool new tools and ideas were like in the kind of meetup scene of New York city. And, and I was just sort of trying to absorb as much of this as I can. And one nice thing, in this program that i was in was was like i kind of had to do the full spectrum of what we think of as data science like a little bit of modeling a little bit of simulation a lot of programming like just sort of implementing stuff um a lot of visualizations and like those sorts of things and it was it was like each professor had different needs and so when you talk about like this amorphous blob that is a data science job description. Like I was, I was kind of covering all of them at the time, which was really fantastic. Uh, I feel very lucky to have been in that opportunity.
0: Yeah. I I didn't do that kind of thing, but I feel similarly of some of the things I worked on in grad school and in uh, a summer research program I got to do during undergrad, a lot of those kinds of skills um, that I didn't really get in the classroom um, but are very practical day-to-day skills, even now, uh, things like, you know, using the command line effectively and being able to to do some quick data munging and generate a plot pretty quickly is, is still a very powerful skill. I, I mean, I think maybe those are being taught more now, but no, I, I only ever did those types of things in some like crappy lab software or in Excel or something like that. In school, I mean,
1: yeah, and I'm sure that like you are probably had a similar thing to me where like you're like, okay, this is the specific problem that I have, but like, what's a cooler way of solving it? Like, I right. used to write like I had to like solve problems for my like circuits 101 class in the beginning of college, and I was like, well, I bet I could program something in MATLAB that will like just give me all of these resistor values of this weird network, and like, you know, that's sort of like, oh, I bet I could make a, a I don't know. It's sort of like that XKCD problem where someone asked them to hand them the salt and then 45 minutes later, they've almost finished designing a device for handing arbitrary objects across the table. You know, do those sorts of things. And I feel like that curiosity is super valuable in, in what is like data science, because you kind of have to be able to figure these things out and, and kind of co- come up with a new way of doing, uh, whatever this particular idea is because nobody else in your company knows what a data scientist is
0: yeah absolutely i completely agree i mean i think even just in modern software engineering and the challenges of um using open source software requires a lot of uh, persistence and just being willing to go out there and, and try some things and see if they work and and being able to power through, you know, you get some cryptic error and you have to decide, is this worth going down the path to try to figure this out or to give it up at this point? Like I think a lot of those things are, for me anyway, and it sounds like for you, is very comparable to the little, uh, <laughs> you know, here are two messy data sets in a CSV file that a professor needs to figure out how to do a join on them. Uh, it's a lot of comparable uh, problem solving um, that I think it's hard to teach in a classroom and I, people are becoming more aware of needing to teach those types of things in a classroom, but it's hard to teach that until I think you maybe start to need it more when it, you, you have some motivation for learning it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm super curious of like how data science curricula handle that with like, you know, people who are graduating with degrees in data science these days, like, you know, I don't know, I, I wonder how they teach that sort of intuition and that, that like interest in it because folk, you know, you studied math and physics and I studied electrical engineering. And as I talked to all the people that I know who like got into data science around the time that we did, they studied social sciences or psychology or economics or whatever, because there was no data science. And we just sort of like, you know, had this, we're like, Oh, I bet I could take the things that I learned in my program and like build a trending thing on tumblr or whatever uh with it and and it's like i feel like that being able to learn skills in a particular domain and adapt them sort of broadly is like a super valuable quality of a data scientist and i think we used to self-select into that and i hope you know i'm sure i'm sure the folks who are applying to data science programs are self-selecting in a way but i hope that there's like someone's figured out a way to teach that ability to pivot I guess, no, no pun intended.
0: Yeah, so that that leads us actually nicely to your your next job, which was at um, Tumblr, which you joined in August of 2011, according to your LinkedIn. How how did that opening happen?
1: I uh, I DM'd somebody on Twitter. And then, uh, three days later I, I started working there, or something like that. yeah.
0: those were the glory days of of data science Twitter when uh, kind of everybody could follow everybody and you could interact with anybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not sure. I'm so yeah, I mean I did I message someone who had Tumblr in their uh, in their uh, Twitter profile. You know, I went in and I interviewed, and and I didn't know what to expect, and I don't think they knew what to expect. But they, I don't know, maybe they just took a flyer on me, and and uh, it seemed like I might be able to figure something out useful. Um, one thing I made sure I did was have like, I don't, I don't know if it's still sort of in vogue to have a like a portfolio of data science projects. Like I would go, you know all day every day when i was working at columbia it was like oh we need to download this stuff from fred or from like all these s1 filings or from wherever and i was like oh i can just like get data and you know make visualizations or try to do some uh clustering or whatever and so it was like political data or um baseball attendance data and things like that like i just ran all these scrapers for fun and and put a little blog together of like just little projects Um, and I, I like to think that that was sort of like part of my, uh, you know, like why they, they thought I would be a good employee. I like remember getting there on day one and our VP of engineering, uh, ran me and the one other new hire through like how the Tumblr stack works and my eyes glazed over. Like, I didn't know like what a, you know, an MVC stack or like framework is and i didn't know what caching was and i didn't know any of these like web things uh but like was able to figure it out i guess and they just like gave me enough rope to figure it out which was great
0: you know i still encourage people to do um portfolio type things like that i gave a talk at a we had a pi data conference here in in uh the research triangle a few years ago and i gave a talk basically trying to motivate uh, early career and, and students um, type people to, to share the types of things they're learning and working on. And that was actually um, an important thing in my early career. You know, so I was in grad school in this time, 2010, 20, 2009 to 2012. And I was on Twitter and seeing people like you and, you know, um, you know John Miles White and um, Drew Conway, other grad students and and other people who were, uh, getting their names out there because they were um, publicizing the things that they're working on uh, on blogs or, or whatever, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing interesting things in grad school, just nobody knows about it because it's me alone in my my office working on it. Um, and I, I mean, you know, now that I think about it, that's a very generalizable skill in itself. As we've both learned in industry, you in many ways have to be your own. Uh, advocate and your own marketer internally on projects you're working on and things, you know, uh, proclaiming that to the rest of the company, not in an obnoxious way, but in a helpful way is, is an incredibly valuable skill. Uh, and I think that's, that's worth starting early.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, there's, there's a line, I guess, probably somewhere between advocating for yourself and like, fully playing politics, but like, you know, like maybe the difference is like where your best interests are. Um, But like, you know, if you've, if you've got an idea that you think is very valuable and you can show the value in it, um, being able to show that value is certainly a useful skill to have for, for engineers and for really everybody. Um, And whether that's presentations or talks or prototypes uh, or whatever, like, being able being able to do those sorts of things is super useful and like if you're if you're starting early then like being able to do that on just a blog is like a great a great place to start
0: nowadays it's not a blog you make a streamlit app i think is uh is the way to go
1: i guess so yeah yeah you make a streamlit <laughs> app, but then you still have to get it out there somewhere which i guess is like a medium post with some highly controversial title
0: <laughs> yeah how I uh, deployed Kubernetes on my laptop to deploy a Streamlit app. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Were you the first data scientist hired at Tumblr?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. Um, and I'm not really sure what made them decide that they needed a data okay, scientist. That was my I next didn't... question. <laughs> so, yeah, I think with every... So, it's a social network, which means like there's two things that are super important one is some sort of recommendation or discovery whether that's uh you know discovery of new blogs for a person or whether that's uh like trending and things like that like whether you surface trends externally or just have them internally it's like good to know sort of like what people are doing on your network like <laughs> pretty useful thing um and then the other one of course, is always gonna be spam or some sort of malicious activity and like getting that off the network, so you know, I started and it was like fully gung- ho on like I can do like I learned about matrix factorization and like you know I can do a singular value de- decomposition on this like huge interaction matrix and like start doing some recommendations that way and uh quickly realized that like you can't just like load all of tumblr into numpy on my like dev box and so i had to start learning other things um big data things learned what hadoop is Um, never actually did that matrix factorization problem but uh (laughs) ultimately like you know i think a lot of the times my my concern with things is like making the worst experience better the the sort of spam problem which like you know tumblr wasn't exactly overridden with spam for most of the time that i was there um but like just getting it out of places where people go to find like good stuff was like i was like this is a problem that needs to be solved and like went out solving that and so I did a lot of sort of binary classification problems and i know you've worked in this sort of cybersecurity and and uh detection of bad actors space for a long time so certainly know a lot more about it than i do i bet at this point but uh i just sort of like got into those sorts of things at tumblr and and uh it was fun it was a fun time um but someone was like hey would you take a look at this thing that was like no okrs no planning and just and just sort of got to figure it out
0: that's neat and what were some of the tools that were used at that point for Big data and computational challenges.
1: So the the most important thing is if you're gonna like analyze data, is to like write stuff down. Um, and so the um, Matt Hackett, who is the uh, VP of engineering there, was like, "Hey, we, you know, we've got these databases with like Tumblr blog posts, but like there are all of these like actions that people are taking: page views and liking a thing and unliking a thing as to different immutable events and so they set up some like pretty good logging that where you can um just like re- record certain actions and it would record a number of like common fields like the person and the time and the machine information or whatever um, and so they were using scribe which is a thing at facebook that they use for like logging events and then dumping all of those into hdfs um, and so like they had this Hadoop cluster that was set up that Basically, it was a gigantic bucket that they were just filling with stuff and not really looking into. Um, but they they had the idea to, like, start with that. So when I got there, um, you know, we had this YouTube cluster, and I had no idea what I was doing. So I started, like... MapReduce 101 right and it's like you get a Java thing and you have these mappers and you have these reducers and I quickly realized there has to be a better way and <laughs> um, around this time like kind of I think a lot of data folks were like well we can do these streaming operations on Hadoop which like um, you know it's it's not like the native access to, to MapReduce but like you can do you can write Python at least. And, uh, last FM made a thing called Mr. Job and, and, you know, some Spotify made Luigi that did a lot of sort of streaming processing at the time. Um, and, and started figuring that out. Um, and then I discovered pig, which have you ever used pig Apache pig? Uh,
0: only a tiny bit. It's fantastic.
1: Um,
0: (laughs) it has its fans. I know
1: it's, yeah. Uh, it was great at the time, but then, you know, you can write, it was, I think it was called pig Latin was the name of the language, but, you know, you start to see the beginnings of like common, like modern data engineering patterns in that with like group buys and, uh, you know, functions that get applied to the group by uh, the bag or the, whatever it was called. Um, and, you know, you could, you could start doing these like, aggregations on groups of data uh, and it would scale really well and it was really nice and i you start to very quickly learn about like key skew when you do these group by things um and uh so we started building a lot of tooling around that i guess that was the sort of like engineering side of it like we used a lot of those for um getting our recommendation pipelines together i think a lot of our stuff was written in, in pig and uh And then we also set up Hive, which is like a SQL interface for like business intelligence stuff and had a lot of dashboards and things like that. So, uh, you know, pretty much all of the engineers at the company or analysts at the company at this point were like firing off Hive queries and, you know, clogging up the whole cluster for everybody. So like those were the sort of two things were Pig and Hive for a bit. And then um, I'm not sure what year it was that Scalding got released. Um, Oscar, who was on your your first episode, uh, and the folks at Twitter released really scalding, and that was like that was game changing because one of the things about both Pig and Hive, if you want to do any like custom functions, you have to write a UDF, which means now all of a sudden instead of SQL or this other uh, Pig language, you you have to start writing Java and like bundling those jars with all the rest of your stuff, um, and it just got to be a huge pain in the butt. But, like, with scalding, you just, like, write Scala code. And if you want some special function, you just write a function. And so, um, it was huge. Uh, and, like, that's, you know, I've been, used that there. And, and, and we built a lot of sort of data pipelines and things with, with scalding. Um, and, like, even we're doing trend detection and stuff like that. In that, um, a lot of the recommendation stuff got moved to that. And then, um. You know, I I guess what I my job the next couple of jobs after that I was using Scalding for a long time until now we use Shio at at uh, Spotify which is like a similar API over Dataflow which uh, we don't we don't need to jump that far ahead but like yeah so those were really the tools but then for detection fraud and things like that we used football Wabbit which was uh came from Yahoo Research and because it could train these logistic regressions on like a stream of data. So you could pass through all of the data and you did not have to worry about fitting it all in memory. Um, and you would just sort of learn observation by observation. Um, which was really awesome.
0: That's cool. I, I mean, that's interesting to me for a number of reasons. One is, you know, how much, um, the tooling has changed even in a short eight to nine years since then, uh, in that people aren't using Hive much, people aren't using Pig much, and things have have moved on, um, which is kind of its own story. But uh, I guess one other uh, question about that is: was that your first introduction to Scala, which I know you've done a lot now in recent years?
1: You know, Tumblr, Tumblr is like your classic lamp stack, or it was at the time. I'm not, I'm not sure now. So like, it's a PHP uh, application and they uh, were interested in kind of breaking pieces of it out into microservices. So like really starting to get into a more uh, kind of microservice thing rather than one, one monolithic PHP app for like tumblr.com. Um, and so the folks on like the engineering team were like, we, we think we're going to use this finagle thing also from Twitter. Um, and so there was like scala was like around the company and so when it came time for me to learn it for data purposes it was like other other people at least were like using it day to day they were using it for completely different applications but i could at least like ask questions about the language and like learn how to do things um and then yeah like i mean i feel like it's such a such a nice language to use for data pipelines um you know, you've got Spark and Scalding and all these other things that all at least are. You, I would say Scala first. I think Spark is. I've never actually used Spark just because.
0: One of the other interesting things to me, you and I were talking about this a little bit the other day, was um, it, it seems to me from from talking to you that you were really enabled to ship a lot of things that you were working on at Tumblr, uh, which is a a challenge that um, you know a. a Getting things out the door, and I think sometimes, especially in data science projects, is is a challenge that companies face. Um, and there's this trade-off between, um, you know, the just free-for-all, and you know anyone can can start to add things. And then uh, other times you can have gatekeeping through approvals required, or just the technologies that are required you have to check all these boxes before you're even allowed to to ship something. Um, or I mean, on the other hand, some companies are so mature that they make it very easy to ship things because they have so much advanced tooling in place that's really focused on on engineers and data scientists being able to ship things. Um, which is that's a, a whole can of worms there. But uh, yeah. I, I'm kind of interested in like, um, from my perspective, that was a uh, in talking to you a very uh, very good job for you and you were able to do a lot for the company as well. I guess, do you have any kind of summary thoughts about what enabled you to contribute uh, so much to uh, the the product through your data science work? And, in, in, you know, in a, in the, just a few years time that you were there,
1: I think like one thing is, is like, there has to be a clear objective that like is valuable to the company. Um, you know, we also did some stuff that were like, you know, it was around the, I guess probably 2012 election that we like looking for trends in, you know, what people were saying on Tumblr. And, and this was like shortly after the, um, the infamous, okay, Cupid blog that like, I can't believe it's been 10 or 11 years or something since that thing was live. But, um, fascinating blog where they just dug through all of the dating trends on okcupid and wrote about them and uh i think that helped get a lot of people including me into data science but like i like it dug up it like there was a lot of hype about okcupid because of that but it's hard to say that like that sort of data sciencey tell a story with data thing is going to be super valuable to every company so Right, you know, one thing at, at Tumblr where they they were just like spam's a problem. Like people are complaining about it. Um, you know, Tumblr got acquired by Yahoo not long, like while I was there. So certainly someone must have said something about you know, hey, what a, what about this problem? And they were like, we'll clean it up. And so um, having that important need, uh, for something that really can only be solved by. Some sort of data science or machine learning application, whether that's because of scale or, or you know, like something else, um, you know, like recommendations or whatever. Like having that need is absolutely critical, and then uh, sort of giving folks the the space to figure it out, um, and like what is the right way of doing it, and just like sort of having the trust in in the team or the person in some cases to like find the spam or like build the clustering algorithm that is needed for whatever business critical application um, or like do accurate forecasting for so many people Um, you know, it's, it's the need and then the sort of space and the flexibility at at a small company are like critical. uh, I think Um, things are totally different. Once you get to, you know, I don't know how many thousands of people work at Spotify, Five thousand right. or something, um, you know. You can't just be like, "Hey, go figure it out." Um, right. But like, yeah, I think one of the things that we were talking about was this sort of, you know, there's like ML ops as a field that is all about sort of data tracing and and reproducibility and making sure that your models are all evaluated properly and against the same data sets, and that is all like super interesting and necessary. You know, it was certainly more necessary at places like when I worked at Stripe and, you know, there were dollars involved and not just like teenagers websites. No offense to the teenagers of Tumblr, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a little lower risk and getting any sort of model out there, however you could, was more valuable than like some perfectly analyzed, uh, robust, scalable, reproducible system like at Spotify where I work now, like that is very important and we have the scale and the ability to do that. Um, But I like one fear that I have is that people are like, oh, well, I can't do a machine learning application because I read, you know, this book on ML systems or I, you know, read these blog posts about, you know, ML ops platforms. And like, if I'm not detecting the training serving skew of my data set, like, I have to do that before I can even put a model into place. And, you know, I think the answer is you probably don't need to do that right. most of the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, your time at Tumblr only brings us up to 2004. Um, so we have six more years of your, your, your career to hit. So, <laughs> um, so from Tumblr, you joined, uh, a company that, um, was somewhat short lived from what I understand called. And that was, uh, on LinkedIn, you call it some, but that was what was known as Project Florida most of the time. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, so what, I didn't what was know that, that company it was be... about? Uh, so we were building our, it, it was a hardware and software thing and it was like a bunch of folks from New York City startups um, and like one of, probably the best team I've ever worked with. Um, just wonderful people all around and, and just super brilliant and had uh, this this idea was a lot of it kind of lives in what the Apple Watch is now. Actually, we were building um, you know a, a heart rate monitor that you wear on your wrist, and um, we can sort of we were able to get it to identify when you're stressed, and identify activity, and see how your heart rate recovers from a certain amount of activity, and uh, could tell when you fell asleep and woke up, and could analyze your sleep. And this was all from like accelerometer and and heart rate data. Um, And, you know, the, the sort of goal was, and I think the, a lot of the inspiration for the company was, you know, just because you're like, have a low BMI doesn't mean you're necessarily healthy. Um, You know, I think a lot of people right now in the world are just sort of stressed because of whatever coronavirus induced situation they may be in, in their, in their daily lives. And, you know, well, well, you may look fit, you might have uh, like other detectable, preventable uh, sort of health conditions. and if we could sort of help, help identify them and steer people towards uh, maybe a better lifestyle, whether that's food exercise, stress, sleep, something. Um, sure, you know, we were trying to do that. Um, one thing I learned there is that hardware is very, very hard. And, uh, so that, comp- you know, we built some prototypes and, and our software was working pretty well, um, for detecting all of these things. And, and, you know, we're working on the product of how do we nudge people to do things and had some really fascinating, like machine learning sort of ethics questions. Uh, like, you know, do you ask someone if they're pregnant or not? Or do you ask someone if they are or were or used to be a smoker? Um, And like, do you trust their answers? Um, And, uh, you know, a lot of other like really interesting things of like, do we want to take, do we want to use certain signals in our models or not? Um, Because these are like highly personal about a person sometimes. Um, And like, if we really need to ask it, then we, then we have to justify it otherwise. Like, let's not, let's not like dig too deep into these people's lives if we don't have to.
0: So what, what, um, types of things were you in particular doing there? What, building models or, or what?
1: Um, we, so I was working, I guess a lot on streaming infrastructure for like, uh, I guess it was more sort of on the model inference side. Um, you know, we had folks who, I guess I did less of the modeling there, um, and, Less and less as my career goes on, probably. Um, but it was, it was, everything was built on these streams of heart rate data. And so we had to like aggregate them up and extract the features that we needed for the model um, in order to make predictions. Uh, it was, I forget a lot of the like real details of what we were doing. We were using Apache Samza. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there were a lot of like fun engineering challenges there with like, connectivity issues um and like you know time series arriving out of order and things like that just like restrictions that we got from like the hardware itself um and it was so like figuring out a lot of those sorts of things was like super fun to work on
0: and that that company didn't make it um which (laughs) it's probably a story for another time but from there you joined uh the stripe and uh, which is you know a company people are pretty familiar with as a machine learning engineer. Uh, what kind of uh, work were you doing
1: at Stripe? So Stripe had when I was there it was the primary sort of machine learning application was fraud detection. Um, it was similar, I guess, to in concept to the the work I did at Tumblr, but of course much more mature in many ways and much more high stakes in many ways. Um, and it was, um, yeah, it was only there for a year. It was a brief time, but it was uh, it was fun. It was like super eye-opening. It was like there's a lot of really smart people thinking about very, very big problems. Um, and, you know, it sort of goes back to, I guess, what I said earlier about wanting the sort of worst-case experience to be less terrible. Um, so if people are having less fraudulent, fewer fraudulent transactions at their business or, or whatever is like, is like the goal, I guess, that I was thinking towards, um,
0: well, Stripe is, is somewhat known for their, I guess, kind of thought leadership and presentations and, and blogging and, and various things, uh, um, how they do things. Um, and you know, they make a big point of, uh, uh being a company that does things with excellence. Um, mm-hmm. did you have takeaways from, working there that have been valuable to you in shaping your own thinking about tackling machine learning problems or about systems or or teams organization, anything like that?
1: I've worked remotely and like Stripe has a, a pretty large remote community and probably much more so now than four or five years ago when I was there. Um, which meant that like a lot of things were over communicated and I'll say that in a good way. Um, you know, the like lots of like meeting notes that got shared out and things like that. Um, But, but folks, I think they also think a lot about the the reason behind why they do a certain thing um, and like can sort of draw up a system or draw up a um, sort of organization or structure or model or, you know, whatever it is. And they'll, they'll kind of think it through. And then before building things kind of take a step back and be like, does this make sense? And then, you know, if, if yes, then go forward. Like everything is, is like you said, sort of principled, uh, maybe that's not a good word. I don't know. Um, but I feel like it's a, it's a very kind of academic, like let's think of the long history of this and where we're going, uh, sort of mentality, which is, you know, it's, I think it's helped me, um, you know, now if we, I don't know if you want to jump all the way to the current, but you know, I'm working on a a platform team at at Spotify building machine learning tools. And and it's sort of like, well, let's think of like the whole system as like a complete piece and not just focus on our like one independent little part of it that we're building right now. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I did want to move on to uh, uh, Spotify and, and hear about um, how your career has progressed there. And now you've been there over four years and are, um, a staff engineer at this point, and getting to do more uh, big picture thing and um, set technical direction for machine learning, um, which isn't what, if I'm correct, isn't what you joined Spotify to do. So um, you've been able to you know, to take that that uh, kind of higher and higher level view, as well as uh, helping um, put things into place to to make machine learning. Uh, more effective across the company, which I, I think is really fascinating, and an and an um, interesting culmination of not not that this is the end for you, but the, the, that you know I it, it seems like a lot of different things have worked towards you getting to do what you're doing now. Um, so all that to say, I'm interested to hear how how uh, your role at, at Spotify has progressed and developed um, from you know I think being very hands on with some of the um, some somewhat high profile models at Spotify in the early days to now this platform team.
1: Yeah. I joined Spotify working on the team that was, so discover weekly was I think about a year old when I joined, which is a playlist of 30 songs that you haven't heard, at least on the platform um, that updates every week. And it was like, you know, it's probably still like the flagship, uh, like one of the flagship recommendation products, I would say that the homepage is probably now, but um, you know, I joined to work on that and, and you know, this was again, sort of one of those things that someone like had an idea for. And like, there was a platform or there was sort of a way of, of like making these playlists and serving these playlists using the existing infrastructure from like Spotify. And they were like, well, what if we make a new playlist every week and update it for everybody? And, you know, we, we, we're fiddling around with this model and we think that this is going to be really cool. And they like made it for employees and some of them loved it and some of them hated it. And, um, you know, it sort of goes back to this, like, uh, giving people the flexibility to like play around with machine learning ideas. And, and, um, you know, as long as there's like a business need, like we need to be good at recommendations then like having, having a, a broad directive but letting people fill in the details the with you know the the tools that they know and the things uh, that they kind of are best at um is really great and so discover weekly sort of came out of that and um i remember hearing our ceo one time talking about somebody asked him a thing that he that had changed his mind about working at spotify and he said that he was really skeptical of discover weekly he thought it was a stupid idea <laughs> um and uh and kind of came around on it and and I think Spotify works very much in that way of broad directives from above and then specific implementations from the ground up, um, which is fantastic. Um, and so,
0: I, I used to love Discover Weekly before I had a three-year-old who can talk to my uh, Amazon Echoes and uh, request music. And now my uh, yeah. my Discover Weekly is totally shocked. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: I'm I'm about a year away from being in that position. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll come up with a solid solution
0: you st- you start to have uh, several significant principal components in your in your model i think
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm looking yeah. and
0: i have uh, songs from winnie the pooh on mine at the moment so
1: oh great good stuff maybe <laughs> hey maybe you'll love it i guess i worked on a couple of big projects at, at spotify the first one was was discover weekly which really was less of a improving the algorithm thing and more of a uh Cloud migration thing. Um, we were migrating all of our stuff to GCP at the time, and it was just like a—I mean, it was a software rewrite problem that are both fun and annoying. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people have been parts of migrations to were from clouds. Um, maybe not everybody, but uh, you either you either love it or hate it. And I kind of embraced it and really liked it, and so it was a lot of fun. Um, but from I, I don't know after working on that for a while um the homepage of Spotify which is you know we're like we need to really personalize this and uh there was a huge effort put into that and a lot of people moved on to that project including me um and so it was like figuring out what exactly this is going to be there was a lot of like really fun product development stuff that we were doing at the time um from a engineering perspective one thing that we realized was that like You know, we needed more content to rank in our in like the ranking model that we were building, and we needed to be able to iterate on this model uh, quickly with like you know maybe four to six machine learning engineers kind of poking and prodding at it, adding new features was an important thing, Um, and so I worked with a couple of other folks on on like a system that would, and this is sort of exactly what i said that you might not eat a few minutes ago but um you know it was it was making sure that it would be easy to add model add features to a machine learning model those features would be available at serving time as well as training and sort of cutting as many steps out of it as we could um and i think at this point my like i want the worst experience to be less bad started to focus on uh, the sort of internal developer experience rather than the customer experience necessarily. Cause like it was hard, it's hard, like dealing with the both the scale of data that we have and uh, just sort of the scale of like the, the organization, like there are a lot of, I think there's over a hundred machine learning engineers at Spotify. Um, you know, people do things if there's not like a clear way that you have to do things or, that it's most advantageous to do things, then you're just going to do them however you know, and that gets to be unwieldy. And so, um, you know, while, while working on this thing from home, we were like, well, maybe we can start to expand some of these ideas and build tools that that go to the whole company. Um, and so started working on prototypes for how we would do a feature store and how we would organize our machine learning experiments and things like that, um, that ultimately after... Six month paternity leave and some other work. I, I finally landed on the team that's that's responsible for like actually doing. And then I guess along the way, in there, uh, you know, putting together a staff promotion packet was part of it, and that that seemed to work out, which was great.
0: So, what does that look like for you in the in the day to day? And I, I'm sure no two days are are the same but um what does it look like from the perspective of being a staff engineer uh, as well as being on this platform team not working on modeling projects and things but on on, on tools for others uh, how are you spending your time
1: um so I've been in a lot of sort of you get to be in a lot of planning meetings uh, for better or worse and like status update right. meetings and things like that but um, you know my role on this team is someone who, like has been doing machine learning stuff at at the company and knows kind of the processes and the tools and how our machine learning tools fit with our data tools. Um, cause there's a very mature and robust sort of data engineering stack, um, you know, much, much more so than, than the machine learning one is still today. Um, and, and knowing where and, and how those things should merge and and what should be separate and also like what are the pain points that we need to be solving for? So I'm sort of like a bit of a developer advocate for like the other machine learning engineers to say, like, you know, these are the tools we're building for the platform, but like there's this particular pain point that comes first. Uh, And so sort of having this holistic view of the, of the experience, the team I'm on is called machine learning UX. It's the user experience of machine learning engineers at Spotify. Um, and it's sort of tying the whole thing together. Um, and I really I really like it. Um, so some of that is writing code to build um, you know, model tracking stuff that's that's part of our the rest of our software in, uh, infrastructure system. It's called backstage. It's a thing that we've open sourced recently. Um, and then also like all of the libraries and things that fit into the machine learning developer. Workflow and toolkit to like actually provide all of this engine so that things are both useful to the ML engineers and researchers, but also useful to us on the infrastructure team so that we can make it easier to go from, uh, you know, some model idea that you had to deploying that to a QA thing that you can build Streamlit apps for or whatever and and make predictions or uh, easily move from this sort of idea generation phase into like shipping things to production retraining regularly and monitoring and all of those sorts of things um it's a lot of stuff and i guess i've i've you know been able to to work more on some of it but but it's it's nice to sort of be aware and and sort of involved in the in the whole holistic view of the whole thing that we're offering as a platform i feel very lucky to have that spot. yeah
0: and, and I, I mean you know you're in you are fortunate to be at a company that is big enough to need something like that. Um, I think a lot of yes. people hear of things like that and that, that sounds nice to do, but that's, that's not actually realistic at a lot of places.
1: Yeah. And the, you know, the last, the last like customer facing thing that I worked on was, you know, it was a small project that would only a, a subset of users would face. And like the amount of traffic that this, this particular thing gets is probably, I don't know, three orders of magnitude lower than like the homepage of Spotify. And, and we get this, this benefit where it is like Spotify's homepage is, I mean, it's gotten so much better in the last couple of years. I absolutely love it. Like, uh, you know, I'm trying not to sort of toot the company's horn too much, but like, I just, I think it's really a great product and like you find kind of what you want and it's taken a lot of investment to get there but we have hundreds of millions of users who use that and so it's worth the investment there and then you get the benefit that these smaller projects the marginal cost of spinning up another smaller little machine learning project is so much smaller because you've got this sort of cornerstone thing like search right like what would search? what would like you have to be able to have like search and personalized search and things like that. So the infrastructure structure for these like gigantic projects makes it easy to sort of spin up other smaller ones, like the marginal cost of optimizing little litty bitty things becomes so small. So it's really great.
0: So to throw you uh, maybe a a hard question, I'm curious as we wrap up, if you from this experience have advice for uh You know, Adam joining Tumblr in 2011 as the first data scientist, um, you know, tooling, less mature team, obviously significantly different. A lot of people are still in that exact same situation, maybe not using Pig, um, but (laughs) they're uh, coming into a problem and and trying to identify problems that need solved, trying to identify if they can solve them with machine learning, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out. Tools and technology to to tackle that. Do you have any advice that you wish you could go back and give your younger self?
1: I think especially for people coming out of school and maybe especially grad school or PhD programs, where you know your goal has been to be an expert in a thing, um, and that you know it's learn sort of enough of the software and the systems and the organization around you to unblock yourself from getting the thing that you want to do done. So, you know, if if you're if you have some model that like predicts recommendations like offline, then like, you know, your your goal should be well, how do I get these things served, right? Well, whether you find a person or you learn what it would take to I don't know, dump those recommendations into some sort of data store and and like get into the code base and fetch them back out. Uh, that's a pretty specific example, but like whatever it may be where you're like, this is the limit of like, like you can't just throw a model over the wall as they sometimes say, like you have to be able to get through and at least know enough about what is difficult and what is going to be easy and like how you can kind of clear your own path. So that the thing that you're most interested in or the most knowledgeable about, like can actually see the light of day and like get built and shipped. Um, and, uh, you know, usually that means learning. Well, I mean, a lot of the times it means doing more of the stuff outside of your expertise than like the expertise itself, like becoming a, more of a generalist is going to require learning a lot more, uh, of the things that you haven't been studying or doing for the last five years. So, um, I guess I'm very pro generalist, um, and just sort of learn, learn those other skills, and I'm sure you've done similar things. I mean, you're the person that I go to to ask about Python packaging and, and things like that, which like, isn't a math problem.
0: Yeah. We're, you know, we're in, in very different in co- companies in terms of uh, product and, and scale and, and different things. But I, we followed, I think a similar path in a lot of ways to where I'm doing the uh, s- same kind of thing, trying to enable um, data scientists and machine learning engineers to, to do their jobs more effectively um, and, and that came not really from me setting out wanting to do that, but from seeing my own pain points and wanting to reduce them in the future, uh, that I've moved away from you know, the, the math and modeling that I am, you know, I, I, that's what motivated me in a lot of ways to get into this industry. I, I really love that stuff, but, um, just through my own exploration and own needs, I, I've, my career has developed in sort of a similar direction. Um. And, you know, I think that's most people's careers are going to develop in this, probably anything in in technology and and a lot of other things in the world, people's careers are going to develop and change in ways you don't expect. And you just have to embrace that, I think, in a lot of ways.
1: Having a strong like punk rock DIY spirit is useful. Like you can't just wait on and depend on anybody else. You have to get out there and figure out how to do the thing you want to do, which is great.
0: Yeah, Excellent. All right, Adam, thank you very much for coming on the Into the Hopper podcast. I I, uh, think this was a great discussion and hopefully we'll be able to come talk about some other things more in depth in the future.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.